This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. This is the third part in a series about how the U.S. may be an empire. It's nestled into all of season three, which is about how communism in Russia shaped American Christianity. This episode can stand on its own, but when you're done, go back to the beginning of season three. I recently brought my brother up to the mic so we could reminisce about the good old days. Well, some good and some not so great. Hi. Hi, Nick. We we moved out to Los Angeles a while ago. A while Let's ago. Let's just say a while ago. When we were in our early 20s. Yep. And uh, we, we were, were poor. We were poor, so Very we had poor. to have roommates. Yeah, we had this, there were six guys total in a three-bedroom apartment. And I mean, I remember those being really happy days. Very happy. We, there were times we didn't know. I mean, we're happy because we didn't know how little we had. Yeah, but we, we got along well with our roommates. I thought we that did. was like a really great group of roommates. Right. It was. We would play video games together. We would share food, uh, hang out, give advice. We prayed together. I mean, it was it was really a tight time. But I, I remember one specific night when you and I were playing a video game in the living room. Yeah. And... The other four roommates, they got together and they were like, you know, all the roommates are going, we're going to go, we're going to go out and hang out together. Have a good night, guys. And yeah, I remember instantly being confused because it's like, wait, wait, we got you guys together and we're part of the We're roommate. also roommates. We're one third of the roommate. And they left without us. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a real honor uh, to be left behind by the people we'd put together. And Who we thought we were our friends. friends. Yeah. yeah. And they looked so happy without us. So happy. <laughs> and it's no fun to be left behind. No. None. I, I, I remember that being a very gloomy evening. You know, that's a comic story. Uh, but we in the United States have done some very serious stuff. We've left our own people behind. People that are in our territories, but maybe we don't consider to be of us. You know, uh, yeah, the Nick and Chris Staren, the Nick and Chris Staren of the of the United States. I as feel, it were. I feel bad for them already. <laughs> so today on the Truce Podcast, we are going to be looking at some really serious stuff: how we have neglected the territories, and what it means when we, as a quote-unquote Christian nation, leave our own people behind. Can you do the 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 slogan? The no. <laughs> I listen to every episode. I've edited a couple of them. I've produced them. Let's get you started. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. Boy, I feel like I'm leaving this one out. We press pause on the culture wars so that we can explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin. And this is Nick Starin. Helping out in the beginning of the credits. And this is Truce. Nobody wants to be left behind. And no, I'm not referring to the books and movies with the title Left Behind. 
I mean, we don't want to be forgotten, especially not by our own people. But it happens all the time. We even do this as a nation. Allow me to demonstrate. Think back to middle school history. Who got attacked on December 7th, 1941? Okay, so maybe some of us need a hint, so what if I say it like this? December 7th, 1941. Still no? Well, I'll give you a hint. The Japanese military was the aggressor. So go ahead and think about it for just a moment. December 7th, 1941. That's the day that Pearl Harbor was attacked. Now, how many of you knew that? Go ahead, raise your hand wherever you are. I won't judge you. We Americans think that we know about this event because it's one of the reasons we joined World War II. And, of course, because of the Ben Affleck movie. But what else happened on that day? Believe it or not, it's not a trick question. Pearl Harbor was not the only place attacked on that fateful day. The Japanese military also hit the Philippines, Guam, Midway Island, and Wake Island, all of which were territories of the United States at the time. They also struck the British colonies of Malaya, Singapore, and Hong Kong, and they invaded Thailand, all on the same day that they struck Pearl Harbor. Now, did you know that? I'm guessing no, and I didn't know it either until I started researching for this episode. We're not taught about the other places that were attacked. We're pretty much just focused on the 50 states. We don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the territories. And some of us take a strong stance saying that the United States is a Christian nation. And we just did a series disproving that point. But it's important to keep examining that claim because it's so prevalent. We need to examine how we, a quote-unquote Christian nation, have treated our own people. Not just Native Americans, African Americans, and other minorities, but also those who are easier to overlook. Like people who live on U.S. soil that is outside the 50 states. Our guest today is Daniel Immervar. He's the author of the book, How to Hide an Empire, and he's also an associate professor at Northwestern University. In the book, Daniel writes about the events of December 7th, 1941. The very next day, FDR gave a speech in front of Congress. And we know this first part pretty well. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. But listen to the second part. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. What did he call Japan? Of the Empire of Japan. He called it an empire. Conveniently, he did not characterize the United States in the same way. Presidents Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson were keen on calling the Philippines, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and the others colonies. But FDR, not so much. Here is Daniel. 
Yeah, there's a really interesting moment right after 1898 when the United States went to war with Spain and um, as a result of that war took uh, Guam, Puerto Rico and the Philippines from Spain and then also at the same time took Hawaii and American Samoa. And it's this kind of incredible moment um, because a lot of people in the United States at that point were really proud of this and, and made maps that showed Puerto Rico and Guam on them and, and started referring to the United States openly as an empire, as having colonies. Uh, and this wasn't something that they hid. But it kind of fell out of style. It was much cooler to call them territories. So one of the frustrating things for me as a historian, historians are always annoyed when people don't know things, right? You know, that's like our, our thing. Uh, and, and one of the frustrating things for me as a historian is that um, Despite the fact that the Philippines, Puerto Rico, um, places like that have been part of the United States, um, they haven't largely been integrated into the stories of U.S. history, at least not into the textbooks, not into the overviews, not into the books that a lot of people read. And Pearl Harbor is a really good example of that. So it's an incredibly important event in national history. If you were to ask people in the United States, which events they could name by date, which historical events, you know, it's probably only three. Pearl Harbor, uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and September 11th. Those are the things that people know by date. We know about Pearl Harbor, of course we do. As I said earlier, what we don't know is that Pearl Harbor was not the only place attacked on that fateful day. In, in the Philippines and in Guam and Wake Island, uh, it was more than that because the Japanese attacked and then they kept attacking and then they conquered all of those places. And so that means millions of U.S. nationals uh, falling under a foreign flag and, and having some very painful and difficult years during the war where um, despite the fact that technically these places are part of the United States, um, the U.S. has basically kind of prioritized the European theater, not prioritized um you know, rousting Japan from these places. And, and they have a, a very different kind of war than other U.S. nationals do. We have pretty selective memories when it comes to national history. I'm not sure why this is, but it's true. And I can prove it one more time. If I were to ask you which conflict on U.S. soil killed the most people, you might be tempted to say the U.S. Civil War. Eh, no. It was World War II, if, like me, you're counting the territories in the Pacific. Places like the Philippines saw massive losses. In 1940, one in eight people living on U.S. soil lived in the territories. For context, at that time, only about one in 12 people in the U.S. were African Americans. The number of people living in the territories was much greater than the number of African Americans. Yet we forget the territories, even when talking about their participation in the number one war featured in movies, books, and documentaries. It's like they've been erased. It's always been states and territories, and I think it's really easy to think of U.S. history entirely in terms of what happens in the states. Uh, but if you were to do that, you'd miss quite a lot. Goodness gracious, I, I need a break. Does anyone else need a break? Well, when we get back, we'll explore how we've treated people in these forgotten territories, including when and where we let their voices be heard. We'll be back after these messages. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Finding a faith strong enough to hold us. 
written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, breathe, receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, breathe, receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. We get exhausted beating ourselves up, right? Americans are supposed to feel bad about a lot of stuff that happened before most of us were alive. Jim Crow laws, blocking women from voting, exterminating native peoples. I really don't mean to browbeat us with all these things. There are plenty of other resources for that stuff. So let's take a quick break and run through some of my favorite things about the U.S. And yes, these are real. Number one, the Pacific Crest Trail. It's possible for a person to walk from the border with Mexico to the border of Canada on the same trail. Now, if that's not incredible, I don't know what is. Number two, our rights to free speech, free press, and free assembly. Now, we're not the only country with these, but don't they still bear repeating? I think so. Number three, and you've probably never thought about this before, but here it is, something that I'm really thankful for, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC. They're the organization that insures bank deposits in the U.S. Now, they're not a perfect organization, but come on. I mean, even if your bank gets robbed, you've still got your money. Isn't that amazing? I mean, why don't we ever talk about that? Okay, so there are a lot of things to be grateful for in the U.S. Still, it's important for us to know our heritage, which means sometimes we have to talk about the dark stuff. Let's return to World War II, the so-called Last Righteous War. During that conflict, remember, we weren't just fighting the Nazis, also Italy and Japan. Because Japan was our enemy, we started looking around at Japanese Americans and got really nervous. What if these people were not on our side? What if they were spies? And they didn't have our best interest at heart? Today, we're tempted to think that we would never do something like this. But remember, people do a lot of crazy things when they're afraid. So definitely learn from their decisions, but don't be so quick to judge. The United States interned Asian Americans on our soil. We were afraid that, since we were fighting the Japanese, there could be spies scattered throughout our country. So we rounded them up and put them in internment camps like Heart Mountain here in Wyoming. Here again is Daniel. One of the greatest um, flaws or one of the greatest missteps in U.S. policy in the war was the internment of Japanese and Japanese ancestry people on the West Coast, or the incarceration of those people, right? And that's something that we talk about a lot. It's in textbooks. You know, people know about it. To be fair, I didn't know about it until I was in my 30s. But there is another component that I didn't know about until I read Daniel's book. The United States also, at the same time, interns Alaska Natives in the territory of Alaska. Um, not because it suspects that they're the enemy, but just to get them out of the way. Because here's another thing a lot of people don't know, is that Japan also invades and conquers the western tip of Alaska and holds it for, you know, a year. Wait, what? 
There are two huge things there. The United States interned native Alaskans to get them out of the way, just as we did Japanese Americans in the lower 48. Also, Japan had invaded the western tip of Alaska? What? Alaska was really remote then. There were no roads connecting the lower 48 to the territory, meaning it would be hard for the U.S. to fight the Japanese because we didn't have much of a presence there. The Japanese took over three Aleutian Islands in June of 1942 and bombed Dutch Harbor. The ugly truth is that we were not the only ones moving around native Alaskans. Japanese forces took the population of one island, 42 people, to Japan as prisoners of war. Half of them died there. Doesn't that just confuse your righteous indignation? It does mine. The only two choices were being POWs in Japan or being interned in the United States. History is complex, am I right? It probably comes as no surprise, but we did not treat native Alaskans well. They had their own Jim Crow-style laws imposed upon them, segregating schools, hotels, theaters, and restaurants. This is when Alaska was a part of the U.S., and it's about as far north as you can get. The truth is that the United States has a complicated track record when it comes to human rights, even when it comes to the rights of our own people, especially those without a lot of power. The United States eventually accepted Alaska as a state. Cuba got its independence and then went communist. We let the Philippines establish themselves as an independent nation, after we leveled it during World War II. What about the other territories, those that were not absorbed or set up as their own countries? Guam, American Samoa, Puerto Rico, all the rest. Where do they stand? It's an interesting thing. The United States broke away from Great Britain, an empire, only to become an empire itself. Remember this phrase from high school? Taxation without representation? What do you think we're doing to our territories today? So right now, the United States has five overseas territories. Um, so Puerto Rico, Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands, American Samoa, and the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands. Um, and between three and four million people live in them. That's the population of Chicago. And we often don't think of them as part of us. And here's the deal. Uh, by every branch of government, they are in some way subordinated. So they can't vote for president. You know, the chief executive who oversees them, they can't vote for that person. They can send, in some cases, send delegates uh, to Congress, but those delegates are, uh, in the case of the Senate, non-voting. They've got somebody there representing them, but they don't have the right to vote on behalf of the territory. In the case of the House, it's even weirder. Um, they can vote, but if the vote turns out to be close enough that the territorial delegates would matter, then the House has to re-vote without them. Uh, so, you know, their vote is purely symbolic and, frankly, a little insulting. They can have people in the House representing them and they can vote. But does it really count if those votes are thrown away in the event of a close call? And then um, the um, judicial branch, they're also subordinated because uh, one of the things that the Supreme Court does is it decides on the constitutionality of things. Uh, but here's, here's the point about the five uh, inhabited overseas territories that the United States currently holds. Um, 
the Constitution doesn't fully apply to them, which is why you can be um, born in American Samoa, and it's quite clearly American, that's in the name, um, but nevertheless, you would be born a U.S. national, not a U.S. citizen, because the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to you. Um, so the inhabited territories of the United States exist in this um, legal in-between space. They're citizens and they're not. Their representatives can vote, but it doesn't count. If England had pulled that same stuff with the United States, what do you think we would have done? Yeah, we would have left. Maybe this whole thing feels a little academic to you. Like, these are really just side issues. But because we keep these places at arm's length, it allows us to avoid dealing with them in times of need. It's been a problem, I think, for a long time, but um, it feels more urgent today than it has before, um, partly because, I mean, just think about what's happened in the last two years. Major hurricanes have uh, hit and done extraordinary damage to um, the U.S. Virgin Islands and to Puerto Rico. Including Hurricane Maria in January of 2020, which hit Puerto Rico, as well as a 5.8 magnitude earthquake that struck that same month. Um, there was a huge typhoon, the largest storm in uh, U.S. history since the 1930s, um, that uh, hit the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands, especially Saipan and Tinian. Um, didn't hear much about that in the news, but it was a huge deal. Um, and then North Korea threatened to uh, envelop Guam in uh, missile fire. Um, that's all in the last two years. That's four of the five territories facing existential threat. How are we going to handle it when those territories, our territories, are hit by natural disasters or threatened by foreign governments. Are we going to step in and help out? Maybe. The Trump administration withheld aid to Puerto Rico this winter, claiming that it did so because of corruption. President Trump's tweets called Puerto Rico one of the most corrupt places in the world, without really acknowledging that place is us. Our unwillingness to put a ring on these territories means that we can withhold aid and they don't have a voice in our government with which to protest. This is not how we treat a foreign country. It's how we treat our own people. I don't want to downplay the oppression endured by African Americans, Latinos, women, and other marginalized people in the U.S. But at least we know about them. We learn about them in high school. We don't learn about lands we conquered in the Spanish-American War or Native Alaskans. Maybe because we don't like to think of the United States for what it is. I've spent a lot of time over the last few months talking about how people outside the country view us when we try to bundle Christianity with the United States. It hurts our witness in other nations when they see Christians backing questionable actions done by our country. But... How do we expect people in our own empire to view the church? A church that we sometimes try to fuse with the U.S. A country unwilling to let its own people vote for real. One that whittles its history down so that we forget that our territories are part of us. The truth is that the U.S. is both the land of the free and the home of the forgotten. The Philippines, Puerto Rico, American Samoa, the Virgin Islands, and more. We have a history of interning our own people. We broke away from the British Empire, only to become 
an empire ourselves. Begging the question, is the American form of empire always a bad thing? It may be too simple for us to say it's always bad. I'll be posting about this on social media all week, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also email me at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. I may even read your comments on the show. There's a lot of great content coming. Next week, I'm posting a special episode of the show about military bases exclusively on our Patreon page. Patreon allows you to give a little money each month to keep this thing going. If you want to know more about military bases, go to patreon.com slash trucepodcast. In two weeks, we'll explore the ups and downs of empire. Is it always such a bad thing? And we're doing it with a game. No joke, a game that you can play with your friends, family, and church. After that, we're going to explore how Christianity and capitalism got tied to the United States in the first place. Subscribe to this podcast and you can come along. Special thanks to Daniel Imrevar. His book is How to Hide an Empire. We barely scratched the surface. Special thanks to the Internet Archive for the FDR speech. And I'm indebted to Nick Starin for being my sounding board for this and so many episodes. I'm also excited to announce that I am available for public speaking gigs. If your church or organization would like to have me speak at your event, please email me at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. If you like what you hear on Truce, please tell a friend. I'm taking a lot of risks on this show using different formats, covering topics that you don't hear in most other Christian shows. If you like what you hear, tell a friend and consider donating to keep the show running. Details are at trucepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Really, you're going to love the episode that's coming out in two weeks. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.